It's not about race. It's about hate. We don't have a race issue in our nation. We have a hate issue. Hate is antithetical to the entire concept of what it means to follow Jesus, to apprentice Jesus, and to have hate in our heart are antithetical. They cannot go together. They are a contradiction from the get-go. When you realize that God, the Father, so loved the world, everybody in the world, that that was the motivating factor of His sending His one and only Son to mankind to save all the world, that there cannot be hatred for one another and it fit into the cosmos of God. Whenever you think that Jesus, when walking the earth, forced his disciples to walk across a racial line into a village to encounter a woman who was less than perfect, let's just say it like that, and stopped and paused and listened and spent time with and got to know and talked about the dark issues of life while the disciples kept on with their prejudice, Jesus paused. He listened. He listened in a countercultural way to the heart and the soul of an individual. And he leaned in and he loved. And that very act of pausing, listening, leaning in, loving, having a hard conversation when it needed to be a hard conversation led to this woman being an evangelist to her people group. That was because Jesus crossed a racial line. Whenever we think about the hate of our nation, the anger that is in our, that, that is pervasive through our land right now, whether you're talking about the political wrangling in the Twitter sphere out there, or you're talking about the race, or you're talking about socioeconomic people, or you're talking about different people on the other side of the world. I say it again. We don't have a race issue. We have a hate issue. And if you think about it deep enough, it is antithetical to the Christian faith. When Jesus said this, or when John the apostle said this about what it meant to be a child of God, it says in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, let us love one another. And that is without borders, that is without boundaries. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That's a stake in the ground. A person who loves has been born of God. A person who loves unconditionally without borders or parameters is a person who has been born of God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. There are eschatological ramifications, if you even think about it like that, to to the idea of hatred and anger and animosity in our land. And I'm not a big end times prophecy guy, but when you go to the Olivet Discourse of Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 10, it says this, and then many will fall away. Boy, are we seeing many people fall away, walk away from God, the church, the very bride of Christ, and betray one another and hate 
one another. It's a sign of the end of times. And my friend, I'm not going to get into end time prophecy today, but just to say this, that the reality and the darkness is up on us. And to say this again, that hate is antithetical to the Christian faith. It opposes it. It's against it in every way and shape. I shared uh, with you or shared with those who are watching on social media that I'm quite disturbed what what I see across our land. I'm embarrassed to be a human. And one thing I didn't say is I'm also embarrassed to be an American. Because the reality is, is I have friends literally all over the world in different nations. I have Hindu friends and Muslim friends. I have Muslim-born believers. And I have animistic uh, friends that are not followers of Christ that are looking at America right now. And they're wondering what is going on in our land. Listen to this. This morning alone, I was having a texting conversation with a refugee who lives in the city of Athens in the camps, in his displaced people because he left his home country because of fighting and wars. And he texts me asking me how I'm doing. Am I safe? The irony of that. A refugee ran from war and battle and bigotry and hatred is asking me, Mike, are you okay? There's just something not right about that. And it troubles me to no end. See, it's not building a a border wall to keep hate out. It's opening up our hearts to let love in. Because there is a darkness inside that has got to be addressed. And we've got to deal with it straight on. Racism isn't the core issue. Hate is what we must deal with. And it's not hate on the outside. It's not the hate of them over there. It's the hate within every single one of us that we have to be aware of and that we have to deal with. And when I say that, I'm including myself very much in that in that uh, equation. Because when you look at, at the writings of Jesus in Mark chapter 7, it says this, it It is what comes from inside that defiles us. See, it's not the evil on the outside. It's the evil on the inside. It's not the lust on the, in the pornography on the outside. It's the lust in my own heart. It's not the anger in the streets. It's the anger in my heart that I have to be worried about. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, and let me just say this, looting of local businesses is completely unacceptable. And we are not putting money over man, but we just must realize that that is an unacceptable manner of dealing with it. Robbery, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, and the list could go on. All of these vile things come from within. The problem is not without. The problem is within. The problem is not on the other side of the border. The problem is inside of this border. The problem is inside of the hearts of humanity. And we not we will not train it out. We will not legislate it out. It must have a spiritual encounter with a loving, holy, accepting God, that is what will transform our society. A life principle for you. If hate is in us, hate will consume us. 
We must identify it and deal with it. How do we purge ourselves from such hatred and bigotry and racism? How do we purge ourselves from such anger? Well, it's what we must really address. Here we again are filming and probably most of the series will be filming from inside of Rev Unit. Rev Unit is a, is a local problem solving innovation corporation business that is on the cutting edge of creating solutions in the digital world, in the marketing uh, to Walmart and other places. And the point I'm making is, is that we need a creative solution to this situation that we're in. And as we're reimagining our lives into a new normal, we were dealing with only COVID and now we're dealing with an incredible risk of a growth of hatred, far more vile than a, 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 a than COVID, far more deadly than, than COVID. And it will not be solved by a vaccine developed by the the Food and Drug Administration. It will be fixed from within. James writes this incredible letter that we've been studying, and we're going to study it through the, the month of July. But let us look in James, and let us go back a few weeks ago, whenever that Yankee bandwagon fan, Joey Dotson, shared a message with us, and he shared about uh, about anger and listening and, and how we need to listen. If you go back and you just re-listen to that message again, beginning in verse 19, he, he reminds us there of this Socratic proverb that says, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Proverbs are these maxims, these axioms, these, these principles, these life principles, nuggets of, of life. We think of the book of Proverbs mainly, but in the New Testament, James is that equivalent. It is our book of Proverbs. So that is one of the Proverbs. Hey, love us world. Hey, Americans. Hey, Christian brothers and sisters. Let us be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Hate is the fertilizer on our souls that creates greater anger in our world. May we think deeply about this. Anger is like an emotional plant inside of us that grows and grows and grows in the garden of hate. When we don't learn to listen, it is like adding a, a accelerant to the plant of anger. When we don't learn to hear and empathize and get into somebody's story like Jesus did with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 that I described earlier, if we don't take time to stop and slow down and listen, then it is like an accelerant and it is like a fertilizer on the plant of anger in the garden of hatred. May we listen carefully inside of our souls. Think about it and forget the race. Think about it in your marriage. When you stop listening to your spouse, what have you done? You've shut them down. You've devalued them. It's probably the first form of spousal abuse. When no longer does the person I love have a voice when I silence them, when I mute them. So let us learn from this proverb that we need to ramp up our listening skills. And here's just a life principle for you. If your point is the only point, then there's no point in listening to your point. 
If we don't learn the value of the other person in listening to them, because in verse 19, he tells us one of those ways that we can squelch the anger. Because if we don't learn to defuse the anger in the garden of hatred, we will add fertilizer to it. And if we do that, it will increase the anger in our souls. And verse 20 says very clearly that the anger of man does not lead to the righteousness of God. We as Christians called out by God, loved by God, in, 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 in baptized by His Spirit, we have the presence of God in us. We have no reason to let the anger of man control us. God is moving us, calling us, changing us to be more like Him. So here's the question. How do I uproot the plant of anger from the garden of hatred how do I uproot it and so that I can live a better, more holy, righteous life? And that's where I want us to think about today because the reality is, is that garbage in will bring garbage out. If we have a garbage of hatred in us and a garden of hatred and anger in us, only thing that will come out, how do we purge that? Well, what James says next in these next verses helps us to realize how we can unpack or pluck up or maybe you call them approaches to right sizing or right living. Three approaches to righting the wrong inside of our own lives because that's what James is trying to do in us. One is the word rejection. We've got to reject the brokenness that is in us. He says in verse 21, he says, therefore. Now, anytime you read therefore, you need to ask wherefore, therefore is therefore. It's literally a continuing thought of what he just said. He just talked about the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, what's our response to that? How do we deal with that? Well, we deal with that by rejecting the brokenness inside of us. Therefore, put away. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That is our world in which we're living. We've got to put it away. That's the world inside of our own lives if we're not careful. We've got to put it away. Filthiness and rampant wickedness. I don't have to spend a lot of time trying to illustrate that. Just turn on the news. Just look in your own heart. Look in my own heart. And listen, I tell you right now, I'm not going to fix this mind over matter. I'm not going to fix this by re-educating myself alone. I'm not going to fix this myself. There will have to be a spiritual interaction. And I have to say this because there has to be the spiritual rebirth. What Ezekiel talked about when he said, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit inside of you. There is a spiritual rebirth that must happen in every one of us as kindly and yet clearly as I can tell you, you must be born again. You must have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you must let Jesus Christ take over your life and give you that new heart. But it's not enough to be born again. Remember, James is written to believers, yet James is dealing with the anger inside the hearts of the believers. He's telling them, you got to get rid of it. You've got to reject it. You've got to get it out of there. You've got to put it away, that filthiness away. How do you do that? Paul said, I die daily in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus said, you got to be willing to take up your cross and daily deny yourself. 
He tells us that in John chapter uh, 6, uh, chapter 9, verse 23. The idea is that we must deny ourselves daily. There must be a new self born inside of us. We must recognize it, uproot it, and get it out of our life. Oh, I long for the day that we will be able to dwell with races and intermix with each other and enjoy each other and love each other. I look forward to the day we put down the political cards. We put down the race cards. I look forward to the day that we can appreciate and love the fact that we are all children of Adam and children of Eve. And then we realize that God created every last one of us. And as our constitution says, with inalienable rights, we cannot deny them. God gave them to us. How long will that be? Oh, I long for that day whenever Paul talks about that those who are baptized into Christ or clothe yourself in Christ. That's a born again believer. That's a person who's been changed from within. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For everyone, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a day that will be. Whenever we enter back into that Eden, the reality that we are one and we are brought together by Christ. Oh, I long for the day when the Arab can walk through the airport and not be racially profiled. Oh, I long for the day that the Latino will be seen not as a threat to our soil. Oh, I long for the day that we will all look at black lives and say all black lives matter. Yes, all life matters. But right now, there is a question mark over many black people's minds where they're asking, does my life matter? And we as the church must say in a resounding way, Yes, your life matters because we are uprooting the filthiness of our society. We are uprooting the brokenness of our society, the rampant wickedness. We are getting rid of that out of our society and we're doing it right here starting in the church. James Baldwin said it like this, love takes off masks that we fear we cannot live without and know that we cannot live within. It's a mask that is taken off when we learn to love and embrace one another in authenticity and embrace a oneness that comes together when we realize and we value each other as one. That's a part of the wickedness that we must get rid of and put away. That's a part of the brokenness that we must get out. In chapter 2 of James, where we'll be next week, he's going to talk about how God does not tolerate partiality. He does not tolerate favoritism. And when you think about that, let us ask our society this. Can we really say we don't have impartiality if we don't have equality? A part of what it means uh, to be free and new in Christ and to be living right with Christ is the rejection. And that is uprooting the wrong that is inside. So reject the wrong that is within us. But the second is just as important. Receive the word of God in its place. I don't know if you've ever had a garden, but when you take up the weeds that are in your yard or the weeds that are in your garden. If you don't put down good, what will happen? The weeds will come back. 
you got to root up, but you got to implant. You got to take up, you got to tear away, throw away, but you got to put the right stuff in. And that's exactly what James tells us to do. He says, you got to get rid of, get it out of here. But then what you need to do is you need to receive the word of God. Verse 21, and receive, it's an imperative command, and receive with meekness, that's humility, realizing I, I need the word of God, I need you. Receive with meekness the implanted, so it's going deep into the soils of your soul, which is able to save your souls. We got to realize if we're going to see a transformed community, it's more than just getting rid of the anger and the hate and the bitterness and the filth of this world. Because if we get rid of it one day, guess what? It'll grow back to tomorrow because it comes from within. What we've got to do is get rid of it, but we've got to turn right around and implant the word of God in its place. That's basically reformatting our thinking, reformatting our life around the word of God. And I cannot emphasize that's not another book like the word of God, the Bible. In fact, this is the way A.W. Tozer said it. He says, the Holy Scriptures tell us what we could never learn any other way. They tell us what we are, who we are, how we got here, why we are here, and what are we required to do while we remain here. That is the comprehensive value of the Word of God. You can't get away from it. It is incredibly powerful for our lives. How can you maximize getting the Word of God implanted in your life? Practically, bullet point, rapid fire fashion. One, don't miss hearing the message of God. Don't miss hearing the message of God. We're all digital right now, right? But when you can't get back, and as soon as we can, let's get under the teaching of the Word of God. Let us teach one another. Let's teach our children in our home with kids' church that you can go on anytime and do it with your children. Let's listen to the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, find a church home that teaches the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans ten seventeen. So don't miss the teaching of the Word of God. Number two, don't miss the daily time in the Word of God. Morning by morning, He awakens me. He awakens me as one who is taught. I look forward to every morning when God does Isaiah 50 verse 4 in my life. When He awakens me and He teaches me from His Word. I open it up. I'm reading through it constantly and letting it pour and implant itself into my life. Number two, or number three, is don't miss time processing the Word of God. This is where you converse about it. This is when you talk about it with your one another brothers and sisters. This is when you're in your groups. This is when you talk about it around the family. If you talk about it, you process it. It sticks. It retains. It's retained in your soul even further. I'm glad to say that Nathan Wagner has accepted the call, the invitation to come be our spiritual formations pastor. What I'm also excited to tell you today is that over 30 families have said, I want to be a part of a small group. But what I am saddened to tell you is we don't have enough small groups. That is the current reality. We have people standing in line ready to be a part of a group. Why are groups so important? Is they give us the safe environment to process 
through the word of God. It says in Acts chapter 5, verse 4, the early church, and Nathan brought this out last week when he shared with us, that day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they were in the courts listening to the word of God being taught and expounded on. They were also in the houses. My friends, you've got to be in the homes. Whether it's a Zoom conversation today or sitting at a coffee shop, you need a small group. And let me just say this. If you are ready to lead a small group, we need you. We have people standing in line, ready to get into a group. And so if it's that's your next step of obedience, then let's do it. But another thing is don't miss the word being stored in your heart. Listen, I have learned over my course of my faith and my walk that I cannot replace the value of Scripture memory. Memorizing verses and phrases and zeroing in on content that God is saying to me and then sinking it deep into my soul is what it takes to implant the Word of God. I've got to uproot the filthiness. I've got to implant the Word of God. How are you implanting the Word of God inside of you? And I'll tell you this, there's not a spiritual discipleship mechanism out there that does, if it does not include the memorization of Scripture, that I will give a dime for. The memorization of Scripture is the way that God uses to reform us. Spiritual reformation happens when there's a reformatting of our heart and our mind. And the Word of God is what reformats our heart and our mind. So reject the wrong that is within. Receive the Word of God. Have it implanted in your very soul and your heart. But also the third is vitally important is that we respond. We figure out what our next step of obedience is, and we do it. You go into action mode. It's not enough just to reject the rotten filth of this world. It's not enough just to receive God's truth. That's powerful and good. But if we don't do it, what does the Bible say? We're deceiving ourselves. It's one of the worst forms of deception. It's one thing to be swindled by some con artist, to have somebody sell you a bill of goods, or to have somebody robocall you and tell you that the IRS is after you. But what's really bad is when we deceive ourselves. And when we think it's enough to, to sit in a church service or on a streaming service and hear God's word, and, but not deal with the filth in our own life, and not confess and not seek truth and not implant truth, we're deceiving ourselves. Look at James chapter 1, verse 22 to verse 25. He says, but be doers of the word. That's a call to action again, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man who looks intently at a mirror it's the natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and he goes away and he forgets what he's like. But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, that means he actually is doing it in the hard and the grit and the grime of life. He's actually living it out. The person who actually perseveres in the word of God and is not just being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Listen, we don't need to deceive ourselves to think that attending another Bible study, listening to another sermon is what God wants from us. He wants us to be doers of his word. Hear it, get rid of the filth, hear the word of God, 
but then take action. What is your next step of obedience? How is it that I can get rid of the self-deception? Here's just some quick bullet points. You might take some emojis and put them in the comment sections if you want to. One is look in the Word of God. Put some magnifying glass or a book. The Word of God is where you look. Hammer out it out with one another. We talked about relationship with one another. Put in there groups of people. Uh, put the emoji of groups of people or your brothers and sisters in Christ or your husband and your wife. Hammer out the Word. So look in the Word and then share it with one another and then zero in on the Scripture. Zero in and memorize it. I said earlier about memorizing Scripture, getting it inside of you. Put a picture of the brain or the emoji of the brain. Or I always wanted to use that emoji where the head's exploding because sometimes memory does that to me. My head feels like it's going to explode. Put that in there. So you got a magnifying glass or you got books or you got a group of people and then you're memorizing the word. And the last, walk it out. Put shoes, put a runner, put a walker in there. And, and, and that's what it's going to take to maximize it. You're going to study that Word of God, look into the Word of God, hammer it into your life through the one another relationships. You're going to memorize that scripture, that phrase, that, that idea, that concept, that challenge that God has given you. And then you're going to walk it out. On the, on the west side, you're going to walk it out. On the south side, you're going to walk it out. On the east side, you're going to walk it out. On the north side, you're going to walk it out. Just learn to walk out the Word of God. What is your next step of obedience? What's God calling you to? What is the next thing that He calls you to? Is it a sin that you need to confess? Is it a promise that you need to claim? Is it an attitude you need to change? Is it a command you need to follow? Is it an exa- a command you need to uh, uh, obey? Or is it a, an example you need to follow? What is God calling you to do? And right now, God is calling you to do maybe something you've never done before. Maybe He's calling you out of your comfort zone. Why do I challenge you this? Why am I challenged in this? To get rid of the filth? To implant the word? Why am I, why am I called to action? To respond and to put into action what God has told me? Why, why, why? He tells us in verse 25. It's beautiful. Because doers who act will be blessed in their doing. That word blessed is the word happy. Fulfilled. Complete. It's the same word that Jesus used in the gospel of Matthew chapter 5 no less than nine different times when he said blessed, 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 blessed. He's calling us to a blessed life. Being a disciple is called to a blessed life. And what it means to be a blessed individual in verse 25 is to be a doer of who acts out what God has called us to do. And then He will bless our lives for the doing. What's He calling you to do? What's His next step of obedience? Rejection? Reject the anger, the hate, the hostility that has swept across our land. Receive the Word of God into your life. Respond. What's He calling you to do? I love it. That even a child, a teenager, a parent, a mother, a single, a married, an elderly couple, everybody can respond and say yes to what God's calling them to do. Cody Jensen is an example of that. 
I've known Kelly and her family uh, since even before I was doing CrossFit with them uh, in some events before they ever came to Grace Point. I get to know them and their family and they become an intricate part of Grace Point, the Jensen family. There's a whole bunch of them. You'll, you'll see them around, a great family. But Cody is... He's special. He's unique. I've followed him on Facebook. He's befriended me. We've been, we've been friends. I've watched him grow up in the church and he is a man of deep love. He has a desire to change the world. Well, in the midst of all the anger and the hatred of this world, he has heard the voice of God and he feels called to make a difference. And the message that he feels called to share is that love is greater than hate. And boy, is that not the message that we need to get out there? in this day and age. So what Cody has done is he has taken it on himself to spread that message. I want you to watch a story of Cody Jensen. And I want you to see a young man who is rejecting what is wrong. He is hearing and receiving the word of God. He knows that love is greater than hate. The word of God says it. And he is responding by doing something about it. And he is becoming a contagious message carrier that love is greater than hate. And that's exactly what God has called him to do. Be inspired because his life is blessed because he is a doer. What is God calling you to do? My name is Kelly Jensen and you are? Cody Jensen. Cody Jensen, yes. So um, we have lived in Arkansas, well, in Northwest Arkansas our entire lives. Um, And so I have Cody is 17, and then his brother Cooper is 12, and then our husband, my husband Derek. um, 40. (laughs) 39, you're going to be in big trouble. (laughs) I was a young mom. My husband and I were young parents. Um, when I was pregnant with Cody, and we were going to have our ultrasound to find out if it was a boy or a girl, and I was praying for a boy. I loved having a big brother, so I wanted my first child to be a boy. And um, during the ultrasound, um, things started taking a lot longer than I expected. I started feeling something in the pit of my stomach, and um, Cody wasn't supposed to live to term. He is under um, intellectual and developmental disabilities, but we just call it differently abled. I don't like the word disability. I don't like dis. I, I don't like the root meaning of it at all. Faith is a huge, a huge part of our life. It's um, what we wake up on and what we go to bed on. Um, when I became a mom, <laughs> the realness is in me. Um, and, and I wasn't for sure my son was going to live. Um, I had to give it all to God. Um, and I just never ceases to amaze me how God continues to work through Cody. I did CrossFit and had a lot of friends that were CrossFitters that went to Grace Point. And so we went and tried and we never left. I think it was in 2016, Cody was baptized, and that was a super awesome experience. So, um, Cody and I served in WeWorld. I achieved first grade boys. First grade boys now. So, we started in WeWorld, and then we moved into Kidman with the school-age kids, and Cody has stayed with those same kids that he taught in preschool. We have just fallen in love with Grace Point, um, and, and 
the thing that kind of led us to today in these shirts is a few years ago, Mike had a series about how love is greater than hate. And it was just such a simple but powerful thing to to start the conversation with the kids. Um, and it's something that Cody has latched on to ever since. And we have worn these shirts out and and it's it's his favorite saying that love is greater than hate. And so it's been such a great place for him to own his faith and grow. And that's been, that's been really cool. You know, it's so crazy how this happened. So on last Monday, um, I asked that they sit down and watch the news. And, and we just really talked over the current state of events and what's happening and how the world is just hurting and, and just in need of love. And um, Cooper said, well, what can we do? I mean, let's do it. What do we do? You know, and so we were kind of talking through um, what we could do and, and um, do we go to the protest on the square or do we donate to a charity? You know, what, what are some things that we can do? And I found that children if you just give them the opportunity they come up with it themselves and sure enough a few hours later I'm like Cooper where's your brother and he said well he's out at the highway with the flag off the back porch waving to cars and I'm like well what and so I go out there and he has taken the flag off the back porch and he's waving to cars and waving the flag and and I said Cody what are you doing and he said mom love is greater than hate they're waving at me and I just I've never been so proud of him. And then all of the police departments, the county and Gravit and Centerton have come and, and, and given him a high five and, you know. And sadly. And some sirens, yeah, yeah, and the lights. And so that's just been incredible to see complete strangers saying, oh, I, that kid, I see him every day when I drive by and I didn't know for sure what he was doing, but I loved seeing him waving the flag and waving at me. And he's, he's changing the world, starting with his neighbors. Everything in his life is so, it's so simple. He just, he loves like Jesus does. And, and he wants to love everyone. And he does it so well. Someone can wrong him and he forgives and forgets and he he just is Jesus just shines through him so if if anything having children having my boys um, made me realize how I mean I can't possibly begin to know how much God loves us when I you know love them so much so the message the movement is what what is it love is Greater hate. Than hate.